Okay. I can't resist this. So far, so good. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all morning. <laughs> anyway, uh, as we uh, continue our study in Job, we're going to be looking at uh, Zophar today and uh, his first speech uh, toward um, Job himself, one of his, obviously Zophar being one of his friends. But just as a, a bit of review, uh, as we look at um, things from, from last week, uh, we concluded our examination of Job's response to Bildad. That's his second friend. Bildad joined with Eliphaz, the first friend, to support the religious belief of the day. Bildad was more direct with his accusations than Eliphaz, and that Job was living a wicked life which resulted in terrible consequences. Now, we can't forget these guys came to comfort him. Okay? It's great stuff. Uh, this follows this followed the beliefs of the system, right? That's what we've been talking about. That's what our, our, our friend Mr. Ash uh, labeled this. It was, it was this religious system of the day. And as Job responded to Bildad, he maintained that he was blameless before God, which of course did not fit into the system because Job, it looked like from their perspective, was being judged, Right? But Job continued mightily uh, to struggle with his sufferings. He acknowledged that he was well aware of the theology of the day and indicated that he too believed that until God allowed him to go through this testing. So Job is really in a lot of ways in a crisis. And that is what we kind of pointed out last week. But Job had two problems that he could not solve. And obviously they carry over into this last friend. But problem number one was he couldn't admit to something he had not done. For Job to accept guilt for sins he had not committed would no longer be living the truth. Therefore, he would then not be blameless. I mean, that's a weird thing, isn't it? If I say that I'm living in sin and I'm not, that's a sin. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not expressing the truth, so then I would be not blameless anymore. So I, I have to maintain that. I can't say I've done something wrong when I haven't. Sometimes we talk about the difficulty of proving a negative, right? Of proving something you haven't done, and that's where Job was. Problem number two, Job's testing exposed the flaws of the system. Job was now painfully aware that the righteous can experience terrible things. Of course, this was an immediate and total reversal of what his life was like. It completely flipped on its ear, right? I mean, that's, that's, where, that's where he was. Can you imagine how extremely difficult it would have been to have processed all of this that he was going through? Now, again... I understand. Probably all of us have had to process some difficult things in our life, but it was just the totality of what he experienced. It would have just been crushing. We have probably all experienced crushing things ourselves, but to, to look at that, it would have been amazing to experience that. Job, out of a right heart, has wrongly concluded that since he's blameless, God must be unjustly dealing with him. 
I mean, that's, that's what he's looking at right now. And we lead the backdrop of a man enduring terrible suffering, falsely accused and criticized by his friends, and trying to figure out how to understand and respond to this situation. And then we've asked this before, but what would we be saying and doing in Job's place at this point, right? Possibly we would be responding just like we respond to testing now. If we are responding appropriately to testing, then we would probably conclude that we would respond appropriately to what Job faced. But if we're not presently responding appropriately to God's testing, we certainly would not pass this one. So that's just something to keep in mind. So to summarize, Job is in a very vulnerable state and he's being attacked by those who came for the express purpose of helping him. Now, we don't need a long reminder of his suffering, but I do want to remind us of the state that he's in, the mental state that he is in, the spiritual state that he is in. So just a few scriptures here. The first one is Job 3.26, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. In other words, trouble does continues, right? Job 4, 5, and 6. But now it comes upon you and you are weary. By the way, these are Eliphaz's words to him, but it's a confirmation. Now it comes upon you and you are weary. It touches you and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and integrity of your ways your hope? So what, what he's referencing back is you've helped other people who have been going through difficult times. Now you are and look at how you're handling it. This was not a compliment. This was a criticism. We have since found out in our study here that Job's reverence and integrity are not sources of hope for him. They are actually sources of frustration, of torment. He's struggling because he's saying, I have been a reverent person. I have been a faithful person. And look at what my life is like right now. And then one more passage. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. And this was basically expressing the fact that he just doesn't know which way is up anymore. Okay, And all of this turmoil that's going on in his life, he's like, I, I know this is true, but... Come on, can it really be with what I'm experiencing? And so even if I say, I'm not doing anything wrong, look at what's going on. And so the, the frustration is there. That's where his heart is. We often think of where his physical body is on that ash heap with those oozing sores all over his body and all of that loss, but this is where his heart is. And he's struggling with his relationship with the Lord. This is exactly what God set out to do. He doesn't know that, but he's being tested. All right. So what I'm going to do next is to read Job chapter 11, verses 1 through 20. And this is Zophar's first speech, the last friend in this cycle of speeches, um, and he is going to then speak to Job. Then Zophar, 
the Naamathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in, in your eyes, meaning the Lord's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, and that and they would double your prudence. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the depth, I'm sorry, the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not consider it? Will he... For an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away from you and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery and remember it, was, remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning. And you'd be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig about you and take your rest in safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape. And their hope, loss of life. That's what a wicked person has to look forward to as far as uh, uh, Zophar is concerned. Okay, so there's, there's what we have in our reading. What we're going to do is we're going to go through this kind of verse by verse, section by section. What we're going to begin with this idea here that, that Zophar is telling him, your punishment is less than you deserve. Again, the, the, the comfort just continues, right? It's just <laughs> how encouraging, right? Zophar is angry to the point that he cannot contain himself. We see in those first few verses. Eliphaz um, had some short-lived gentleness in, in what he said. That's gone. Bildad's directless, directness was not really enough. Now, Zophar has to speak. So he says, don't these words re require a response? I mean, we can't keep quiet about this. In other words, it would be wrong not to say something to him. For Zophar, he cannot sit by and not say anything when in his mind, Job is saying a whole lot of empty words. As a matter of fact, he goes on, he adds a very serious accusation against Job that his testimony was actually a mockery. That means that he was being disrespectful and or insincere. A mockery of who or what? It must be both his view of God and his view of himself, because in verse 4, we see what, what he says here. Job 4.11, and it's like he's quoting Job. For you have said, right? He's summarizing what, what Job says. My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. We read that earlier. Let me just kind of paraphrase that for you a little bit. You said, what I believe and how I live before God is right. You see, again, 
in all of these friends' minds, but now we're talking about Zophar, he's saying, this, this doesn't add up from our perspective. Right? There is no way you're going through this and you're as pure as the wind-driven snow. Uh, I guess that's kind of relevant today, but anyway. In verses 5 and 6, Zophar wishes that God would intervene and speak for himself, that God would reveal what he only knows, right? Those secret things of the Lord. Zophar was convinced Job was a hypocrite and wanted the Lord to expose Job for who he was. You know, we're trying, the three friends, we're having an intervention here. But man, if God would speak, then you'd be put in your place. What none of them knew is that God was eventually going to speak. And, and we'll wait for that, okay? <laughs> he then concludes, you aren't even getting what you deserve. <laughs> In other words, God has judged you mercifully. How, how, can, can you imagine more harsh and unloving words to say to this man, remember, sitting on this ash heap who has, who has been expressing just all that's going on in his heart. He, he, he's, he's just, you know, he, he's, he's like he's being tossed out in the ocean. You know what I mean? Without a life preserver. And, and he's going down, you know. And so Zophar graciously throws him an anchor. <laughs> I mean, that's really what he does. So... All right, you're getting the idea, right? I mean, seriously, if, if you don't laugh, you cry. I mean, it's a horrible thing that he's, he's saying and doing to Job. So it brings us to the next section. And so, you know, we see him ask the question, do you know better than God? Let's refresh ourselves here in Job 11 and just read this section again. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? That's verse 7. Verse 8 says... They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, how can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons and gathers judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey, when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. This part of Zophar's response should not surprise us. He asks Job if he knows better than God. He gives a picture of the scale of God's wisdom and knowledge. And it's, a, it's a really some beautiful things that he says. And we would totally agree with what he says, right? But what is troubling is how he's misapplying this truth. What he's doing is he's taking theology and he's beating Job over the head with it. And not accurately. He continues in verses 10 and 12 by getting more specific. He asked, God, he asked Job, if God sees something, then judges man for what he sees, what can Job do about that, right? He says God knows deceitfulness and wickedness when he sees it, and he's going to do something about it. As Zophar gets more specific, his words become more personal. Zophar the judge is on a roll. So he tells Job what he really thinks of him in verse 12. 
I mean, this, this is word pictures. This is nice, beautiful, poetic language. But he basically says, when a wild donkey, an untamed beast, gives birth to a human, then there is hope for you. Because only then will an empty-headed man like you become wise. Again, I just, I, don't you wish you had friends like that? You know, seriously, it's crazy. They, they, they just keep heaping it on. But in their minds, they have a reason for doing it, right? They really believe, they truly believe that based upon their belief system, that they've got to get through to Job, even though he's empty-headed. But just like his two other friends, Zophar holds out hope for Job. He gives Job a solution. He says, repent, be right, and God will bless you. Now again, if it fit, this would not be bad advice. And we'll get into that a little bit. As a matter of fact, we can even apply this to our lives uh, if we do need to repent, okay? So keep that in mind. But in verse 13, as we're talking about, Job, t I'm sorry, Zophar tells Job to repent. He says, if you'll turn your heart toward the Lord and turn away from sin, then you will be blessed. So there's that, there's that olive branch. There's that incentive. If you're going to do the right thing, you're going to be blessed. Now, we've said this a couple of times now, but I, I, I think it's worth repeating that the other two friends have said similar things as we have gone through our study today, but in different ways. But Zophar's emphasis is in verses 14 and 15. Now, we're going to read 13 along with it, and I'm going to use a, a, a translation that's not very um, common, but it's called the Bible in Basic English. And all it does is it kind of uh, gives... Um, more modern words for, for, for the concepts that are in here. And so here's what it says in the Bible and basic English, verses 13 through 15. But if you put your heart right, stretching out your hands to him, if you put far away the evil of your hands and let no wrongdoing have a place in your tent. I like how that says that, right? And you can follow along in the, whatever translation you have, but this is, it's right on. Then truly your face will be lifted up with no mark of sin, and you'll be fixed in your place without fear. So here, Zophar is emphasizing, do the right thing. Do the right thing. According to Zophar, the key to receiving blessings from God is simply doing what is right to follow the rules. Zophar lists several conditional blessings to doing the right thing. And we're going to look at those because, again, there's some benefit in what he said, even though it's misapplied to Job. There's some things that he says that I, you know, well, I would say some of them maybe are a little, anyway, we'll get there. He says, you won't have any shame. If you, whether you're a younger person now, or if we think back a little ways in our own lives, if we didn't lie, if we didn't take something in the house, cookie or whatever, that we shouldn't have. And our parents called us to account and we said we didn't do that and our, and our heart was clean. We didn't have any shame for that. Right. But if we broke something and we didn't 
you know, account for it and we shouldn't have been doing what we were doing, we were shameful of that, right? That's one of the things that society has been trying to do for years is eliminate shame from sin. It's, it's, it's just a disorder or it's just the way I am. It's how I identify. And we can apply that in every way, shape, or form with sin. And what it comes down to is, no, people are missing the mark. And there is something about looking at our lives and saying, I'm not measuring up, not measuring up to everybody else's standard, not measuring up to God's standard. But when we do, right, when we're doing the right thing, we're not shameful. So he's right about that. You will stand strong. That's a good position to be in, isn't it? To have strength and confidence in your stand and where you're at, right? You will live without fear. I'll just leave that go for right now. <laughs> Blessings of doing the right thing. You will forget your troubles and they will never return. Wow, that's nice. I like that. Boy, if Zophar was right about that. What does he say? He says, they're just going to be like water under the bridge, right? That's, that's kind of what we say. Just, just, just travels down, it's gone, you know, never to come back again. That's nice. Life will be bright and happy, not dark and gloomy. You will have security. Boy, we hunger for that, don't we? And, and this, you, you can look. You can look in the verses that we're talking about here. But it says, you will be popular. That's what he says, right? People will seek your favor. Man, there's some great stuff there. This is what's wild about it, right? Job had already been experiencing most of these things before the trial took place. The one that was still escaping him was, if you remember, he said, I was afraid that something like this would happen. I, I looked at all of my blessings and I was like, mm, boy, this is too good to last. That's where Job was coming from. You know, the hammer's going to fall sometime, right? You know, this, this can't continue like this. Life is too good. He said, I'm afraid. These are very compelling reasons for Job to come clean, to admit that he has been living a wicked life and has a huge stash of unconfessed sins because that's what his friends have attributed to him. But like we said before, he can't. He cannot in good conscience say, okay, all right, I've, you've broken me. I agree with you. I'm a terrible person. And I've been living against God's standards. He can't do that. So we're stuck. We're stuck with all this going on. So what I want to do is I want to look at Job's three friends and the system. Because there's really three elements, aspects to this that are represented here. And the first one is Eliphaz, the experientialist. And some of this is going to be review, but really it's going to be more kind of putting things together. 
Eliphaz was basically saying something like this. My own experiences and what I have seen in the world tell me that the righteous are blessed and the wicked are cursed. If we need some clarification, his own words in chapter 4, verses 7 through 9 say this. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent. <laughs> or where were the upright ever cut off? These are, these are imperatives, right? These, these are, these are uh, what was I'm trying to say? All-inclusive statements, right? Ever, 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 okay? Even I, as I have seen my experiences, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. But the blast of God, by the blast of God, they perish, and by the breath of his anger, they are consumed. So that's where we get this whole idea, right, of Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. So he is affirming, or we're affirming what he has already said. He also had a dream that confirmed what he believed. That's what he says. Hey, I dreamt this. I mean, it was crazy, but listen to my dream, Job chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. Now word was secretly brought to me. Ooh, we like secrets. We love secret information. That's inside stuff, right? And my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling. Well, now it's actually getting kind of exciting. Which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. Oh, this is getting better and better. Now we've got a ghost story. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. Oh, it's mystery, mysterious. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Oh, wow. How can you folks argue with that? And then we see in verses 4, uh, I'm sorry, we'll get, let me back up here. I got ahead of myself a little bit. So people can claim a supernatural event or something else that happens to validate a wrong belief. This is what often accompanies cults. And we can lump um, false teaching in that as well, but you know, to the, the extreme is cults, okay? That's what they do. There was some sign, if you read their literature if you see what's going on for the example you have is is you know this angel moroni who who appears to joseph smith right in a dream i had a dream and then guess what i had extra biblical revelation given to me then he says and to encapsulate what he says i have seen no exceptions to this truth Chapter 5, verses 11 through 16 says, and I know these are larger sections, but I want us to be refreshed. This is the system. This is what they believe. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn he lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. Quickly upon them. Without delay is what he's saying, right? They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty and from their hand. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. 
So in their world, there is no injustice. There is only justice to the evil. In their world, bad people get theirs. They get it in a timely fashion, and boy, they get whooped on. Is that how you observe the world that we live in? And then in 527, he says, Behold, look, understand, see this. This we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself, period. End of discussion. You can't tell us that what we're saying is untrue. It is absolute fact. Then we come to Bildad. Bildad, the traditionalist. Don't have as many verses for this. Don't need that many. Uh, he basically says in chapter 8, as he's responding to Job, verses 8 through 10, For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday and, not, and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? It's common for us to say what? Well, I wasn't born yesterday. Right? In other words... I've got some mileage on me. I have some wisdom. I don't know if it was a twist of what Bildad said, but Bildad says, we were only born yesterday. We lack knowledge and need to trust what has come down, what has been passed down to us. And if you look, you can see this is multi-generational. You see the verses there? What, what our father's fathers basically I'm passed down, and it's, it's kind of like this, you know, perpetually idea. All of this gathered knowledge, the things that have been passed down to us, that's what we need to hang on to. Tradition. And then we have Zophar. Zophar is what we would describe as the legalist. All we need to do is do the right thing, to follow the rules. I know we've just seen this recently, but it's still important to look at. We're keeping with that Bible in basic English, but English. But you put far away the evil of your hands and let no wrongdoing have a place in your tent. Then truly your face will be lifted up with no mark of sin. You'll be fixed in your place without fear. Wow. If you just do the right thing, everything's going to work out just fine. Now again, on the surface, that sounds okay. But as we kind of make application to this, I want to challenge us, all of us, to apply these things to our lives. And first, what I want us to consider is we need to avoid clouding our understanding of who God is and what he has written with experiences, traditions, and legalism. So if we think about this idea of experiences, first off, are all experiences bad or wrong? Hopefully you would say no. When we're living our life uh, for the Lord, when we're obeying him, something is going to happen as a result of that, okay? And we're going to experience life. There are also things that God is going to do for us. Like, for example, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, Lord, please heal this person. Uh, do we believe that God can heal? Yes. And we also know that there are times, someone was just talking to me recently, and I apologize, I can't remember who it is, but they were talking about 
someone that they know that has had pancreatic cancer for years. Like we're talking like years. And just recently, they tested them and said, there isn't any more. Okay, yeah. Now, why did you just say, wow? Because pancreatic cancer is usually, exactly. And so here they were battling this and we say, Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. They, they took medicine and things like that. But ultimately, we know of situations, we've all heard of them, where the doctors are like, hey, look, we don't know what happened. It was there, and then it wasn't, right? They were close to death's door, and then we don't know how or why or whatever, but their bodies responded to something, and it all turned around, okay? And so don't get me wrong. We, we believe in experiences, but... They cannot add to or contradict the scriptures. When that happens, it's no longer a biblical experience. I had occasion to deal with a man who told us, told me, that when he received Jesus, that Jesus appeared to him. And Frankly, I'm just going to tell you, the, the going attitude at that time was, well, how can we argue with his experiences? And that never sat right with me. I'm not trying to make it sound like you know, I was smarter than other people. I, I'm just saying it, it just it didn't sit right. Now, that in and of itself isn't necessarily horrifically unbiblical. It was how he used that I've seen Jesus mentality to say and do whatever he wanted it was like carte blanche right it was it was almost like one of the apostles you know slapping somebody around and then saying yeah but i've seen jesus right doing something selfish that they wanted to do right and then say yeah but don't forget i was a witness so you can see how that could have been used as a club and frankly was. Okay. Traditions. What about when Paul talked about traditions? Okay. What did he say? Let's look at a few verses here. Galatians chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. I went farther in the Jews' religion than a number of my generation among my countrymen, having a more burning interest in the beliefs handed down from my fathers. <laughs> this is good, isn't it? I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I've read these verses before, but man, when, when I read this, I'm like, oh, this, this is, I, I, yeah, I got to use this, right? Yeah, so, he, so he goes on. But when it was the good pleasure of God, by whom I was marked out even from my mother's body, through his grace to give the revelation of his son to me, so that I might give, it's a lot of stuff here, but just hang on, so that I might give the news of, the, of, of him to the Gentiles, then, so, so he's saying it was traditions, right? But since I received Christ, then I did not take the opinion of flesh and blood. That refers all the way right back there to tradition. Tradition was no longer a part of my vocabulary. It was no longer a part of my belief system. It was out. It was gone. It was about Christ. So, what did Paul think about following tradition? Eh, not so much. No, don't, don't do that. 
But yet there was an element tradition that he did talk about positively. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. So take me for your example. Now, now wait a minute. Zophar is saying, hey, we've got to take our forefathers for an example. He's taking me for example, even as I take Christ for mine. Oh, a little different, right? Now I am pleased to see that you keep me in memory in all things and that you give attention to the teaching which was handed down to me, from me to you. Now keep that in our minds. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 15. But it is right for us to give praise to God at all times for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because it was the purpose of God from the first that you might have salvation, being made holy by the Spirit and by faith in what is true. And in this purpose, he gave you a part through the good news of which we were the preachers, even that you might have part in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, be strong in purpose and keep the teaching which has been given to you by word or by letter from us. What's the difference? These churches... And we can include Peter in this. We can include James in this, right? They were not directly apostles to the Gentiles, right? But in all of this, they were taught by apostolic authority. We're not going to take the time, but we can go back and we can see that Jesus said, I'm going to give you the message that you're supposed to say. And then, and then they both said, meaning uh, Peter and uh, uh, Paul, that the word came to them through the Holy Spirit, so this wasn't just things that people were adding to what God had actually revealed. This was the direct revelation of God, but it did become a tradition. It was something that was passed down. But it wasn't something that was amassed separately from what God wanted us to hear. All right? And then there's legalism. There are two forms of legalism, really, I, I think, that we can recognize. The first is the law or really any standard of works that, that, that people determine must accompany faith. In other words, something that we say is necessary is added to the process of believing. Well, what would we call that, folks? I mean, just in general, that would be a work, Right? If we add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. It's a work. That's a problem. But that's what legalism says. you got to do something. The second aspect is related to legislating righteousness. If you add these rules, then, then you'll be really righteous. By how we dress. I, I remember years ago, that was one example, by the way. I remember years ago, um, you know, I came from a background that was quite legalistic. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I know in one constitution in one church, I think they changed it, but you weren't allowed to have a VCR. For, for, for some of you, that's, that's a video cassette recorder. <laughs> you took a large cassette reel-to-reel -reel in this package and you put it into the machine and then you press play and it turned. And an image came out, okay, through the television, all right? 
So, <laughs> is it a good, good explanation? So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, and, and so what they said was, you can't have a VCR in your home. See, because they already had the rule, you don't go to movies, but man, now you can bring movies back to your house. So now we have to legislate, we have to create a law that says, mm -mm -mm -mm. you're not going to get away with that. You can't watch it in your home either. You know, I used to tell my youth groups, I say, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're looking at, it's what you're looking at. I said what you're looking at twice, but you know what I mean. <laughs> if you're sitting in a cement cubicle that has a really nice stereo system with a really big screen and you paid money to go in, or if you're just watching it on television or YouTube or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's what you're watching. That determines whether or not you're sinning. And by the way, were there already rules for that? Yes. We didn't need any more. The first form puts on biblical requirements on salvation. The second form places on biblical requirements on sanctification. They are counterfeit, and if we allow any of these elements to influence us, it will hurt our walk with the Lord. As a matter of fact, if we add to the first part, if we... If we, if we count these things on the first part if we become legalistic in salvation we're going to miss it now the second way is to guard against others who might influence our walk the first way is our own thinking the second way is to be careful about how others might influence us through experiences traditions and legalism There are those who may very well be followers of Christ, but have added to the scriptures. They're following some things that go beyond what the scriptures require of us. We need to be careful of people who would influence us in that way. Then there are those who claim to be believers, who claim to have the truth, but their experiences, traditions, and or legalism reveal beliefs contrary to salvation contrary to how we're to live our lives before the Lord. Now, where do these things come from? Again, it could just be anybody that we interact with, but there's also preachers we may watch on television or on YouTube or whatever, like I say, or listen to. There are others who may influence us through books or podcasts or YouTube videos or whatever. They might not be necessarily pastors, but they are speaking things. They are trying to teach. They're trying to present doctrine. Um, I recently had an experience where uh, Maggie and I, we were kind of looking at something through the scriptures, and, and uh, she, she brought out this, um, this uh, website that took a passage and just tore it apart as far as what we would say is the, the, the normal way to interpret the passage. Okay. Now, I'm not going to go to it. It's going to be a distraction if we do that, but you're going to get the point. So here's this huge explanation of how everybody's wrong but us. It should always make you nervous when that happens, right? But in the very end, they say, oh, and by the way, Jesus said this. Well, they took all this time, right, to, to hit these little words and to try to talk about nuances and everything else. 
And they were off. But there was a lot of words. But then when it came to what Jesus said in the end of this passage, there were very few words. And you know why? Because they deliberately misinterpreted what he said. He was saying that what he described was a negative thing. They said it was a positive. And of course, we're not going to explain that. We're not going to look at the, the, the words there. We're just going to tell you something about it after we've used all these other words. Do you see a technique there? And guess what it was preserving? Tradition. <laughs> Tradition. No, no, no. We, we can't throw all this stuff out because Jesus affirmed it. No, he didn't. He did not at all. And so your entire argument falls because if you really look at the end of the passage, he's saying, and don't do this. <laughs> wow. Okay, so folks, here's the deal. Job was approached with these things at an extremely weak point in his life. He's struggling. But if you really think about it, He's staying strong. He's not caving. I'm not saying that he's going through this perfectly. Okay, we, We've talked about that last week at length. He's struggling. He doesn't know how to interpret all this stuff. He, he doesn't have in his mind what he needs. And God is actually working through all of this to, I believe, and this is not something that I ever saw Praise God for just giving me the privilege of studying. But he's really stripping him of the old system. Again, Job wasn't living a terrible life, but he still had this idea. What? Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Is he a good person? Yes. I mean, I mean in, the, in the proper right sense to say that, he is a righteous, blameless man. But he's struggling And because he's struggling, he's struggling spiritually. And his friends are just constantly hitting at him. But he says, I don't have everything all figured out yet. But you're wrong. You're wrong. Your traditions and your legalism and your experiences... Don't reveal the truth. I don't know what that is exactly yet, but it's not what you're telling me, <laughs> right? Hey, folks, we've probably all been there to a degree. Think of where Job would have been if he would have said, even if he didn't admit guilt, if he just said, oh, yeah, man, that dream, oh, that spoke to me. I got to do something different here. Don't, well, let me put it this way. If we have some things in our minds that are in one of these categories, if we have some things that we do because of these things, that we need to either start doing them for the right reasons or get them out of our lives. Certainly, we can't require them of other people. But beyond that, 
we need to be careful of the influences that are around us. Because there are so many people that want to give us an alternative reality to what God is truly telling us. And what I see through the book of Job is this. Some of the most righteous people can go through some of the most difficult times because God has a greater purpose that we don't always know or understand. You know, the one thing that Job got that many of us don't get is that even though he didn't get all of his answers, there was a conclusion. Some people go to heaven and never, never see the big picture probably till they get there. And I think that one of the things that we have through God's grace is that we can learn from Job and we can learn from many other passages and say, okay, I'm good with that. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to speak against him. Because that's what Job never did. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we kind of struggle with Job here. I pray that we will uh, exhibit his patience as well. Again, there are so many of us who are maybe even presently going through some difficult circumstances that we, we cannot fully understand. We can begin to grasp at things and we can maybe latch onto something that is going to take us away from you. And Lord, I pray that we can help one another through that and you would prevent us from doing that, that your spirit would speak and we would listen so that we won't get caught up in some of these alternatives, some of these other, quote, truths that people speak, but that we would be content with you. Job remembered that you have been gracious to him. Job remembered that you were for him in the midst of all of this. And I pray, Lord, that that is how we carry ourselves as well. In Jesus' name, amen.